Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, everybody? Jensen Cummings here. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Today is Best Served Podcast 332. We're talking Beyond the Boys Club Kitchen with Jessica Biederman of Edge in Denver, Colorado. Workplaces Worth Working, episode number 15. This is a subject uh, that needs more and more attention. We've definitely hovered over it a little bit and uh, want to continue to unpack just the culture, often toxic culture across restaurants. We talk about that all the time, especially in workplaces worth working, and especially that boys club in the kitchen, you know, and it's something that as we're getting ready for this episode and thinking about the title of this episode, I was reflecting on because I've been in those kitchens where it's all hazing all the time. There's so much misogyny. There's so much intense in testosterone in those kitchens. And we need to shift that. We need to create workplaces worth working. We need to create inclusive spaces. We need to understand that the diversity of the kitchens, the different styles and backgrounds and experiences and use of language and languages are so fundamental to the strength of this industry that anytime we layer on this bullshit, hazing, toxic culture, we diminish the potential of the individuals, the team, the restaurant, and our community as a whole. So I was excited to be able to have this conversation uh, with Jessica, somebody who, you know, edge restaurant, very steakhouse focused four seasons, right? Predominantly has been the white guys, old white guys club. And we want to break through that a little bit. And Jessica's doing that within the kitchen, also within the menu and just how they're navigating the way that they communicate as culinary professionals. So no further ado, I want to bring Jessica in here to, to break it down for us a little bit. Jessica, good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. I am excited to talk to you about this. Uh, first, before we get into kind of the, the meat of this uh, conversation, pun intended, a uh, little bit of background on you. Kind of give us a little bit of your trajectory and then maybe touch on uh, Edge, kind of how you became the uh, executive chef there at Edge Restaurant. Sure. Um, so I was working in Boston for quite some time. Uh, I'm originally from Charleston, South Carolina. Kind of grew up in the southern realm of cooking. Um, and about you know 12 years ago, decided I kind of wanted to experience something new. Um, so I started to check out some of these larger cities. I worked a stint in D.C. for about five or six years. Um, and there was introduced to bourbon steak, which is inside the Four Seasons. Right. Um, and just kind of fell in love with both steakhouses and you know the Four Seasons brand. Uh, there's a shift, as you were saying, in culture, I think, when you go into a, a corporate setting like Four Seasons that just, you know, holds accountability to everything. So I really quickly kind of uh, fell in love with that and realized I had, you know, a, a really bright future in that kind of culture. Um, and so then I was transferred from the D.C. Bourbon Steak property to Boston, where I spent about five years as the executive chef of the restaurant there. Um, and then I was affected by COVID as many, many, many have been in this industry. Um, so kind of just took a bit of a road trip after that. I wrote on a list kind of everything that I wanted to do, but never had time. Right. Being 
an executive, you know, it's, there's a lot of work week, but there's not a lot of time for you. Um, so I kind of just started to chip away at those. I went and did a wine harvest in Oregon for about six or seven weeks. That was really fulfilling. Um, and I drove all the way there. So it was interesting to drive across the country. Um, and then kind of landed where is, you know, going to be my home for the next few years in Denver. Um, I taught some culinary school at the Boulder Culinary Institute for a little while just to kind of get to know the incoming workforce, you know, and to find kind of an understanding behind the curtain from what they're learning and what they're seeing behind the graduation scene as they step foot into, you know, our environments, kind of see what, what they expect on their side. Um, and then after that, I was able to rejoin Four Seasons. I found out that they had renovated the restaurant. They were looking for, you know, kind of a, a different kind of cuisine and um, applied there. And it's it's been history ever since. Okay, a couple of things I want to unpack from what you said that really got got me going a little bit. Uh, first, you talked about the the kind of the difference in culture with accountability, a word that I appreciate greatly. Uh, talk about that a little bit. You know, how does the the culture at a corporate run entity potentially at large or specifically four seasons. How do you see that creating a different level of accountability? You know, I think it's multi-level, right? Like, first of all, you're given the tools to know how to manage correctly. I think when you come up through the independent restaurant chain, you're screamed at and you're belittled and you're berated. And so we all just kind of understand that that's the training, right, of, of restaurants. And the first thing that complete lack thereof of training, just thrown in the fire and sink or swim. Yeah, it really is. I remember one of the things that uh, it's it has stuck with me for years. One of my line cooks looked at me one time and said, "That's great, chef, but sarcasm isn't really a training tool." And that has stuck with me for forever because you know some independent cultures, it's all about it's not about training the individual. It's about making me pumped up and making me feel better, and we do that by berating, right? And like public ridicule and so the first thing that four seasons kind of gives you is an understanding that that's not the only management style and that's also not correct and so they really gave me the tools to begin to find my own voice as a manager and not just repeat the wrongs of the chefs right because that's what happens it's it's a lineage we we take our aggressions of all of our anger for years and years at our chefs yes. and then we filter those through our cooks so for talking about that do- being almost like like uh, Stockholm syndrome, where like oh, yeah, for sure. you, you go from being the oppressed to the oppressor because you're like, I survived this and now I'm better. And then we conflate the idea of being better from the oppression, not because we somehow rose above it and we right. get stuck in that loop. So I appreciate you pointing that out. That absolutely yeah. plays out again and again. And the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different right. results. And we do that like better than any industry for some reason. So we got to break that. So I appreciate you. And it's like, I'm going to take all of, my, all of my aggression out on this poor 21 year old oh. individual that has no idea what I've been through. And I'm going to make sure they feel all my pain. Right. So that's not right. Yeah. So four seasons, that only gives you the foundation of tools that you need to manage correctly. But then there's that accountability layer layer where if you don't, you're held accountable for that. You know, it's, if on your own volition, you can't do and say the right things, you have somebody above you that's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, you know, we ought not speak to each other like that. So I think there's that, you know, constant, um, you know, personal drive to want to treat people better. Cause I also believe that people function better when they're not afraid. And I remember how scared I was as a line cook to ever make any mistakes. And it really hindered creativity. It hindered my ability to, 
be open and even share my culinary story with anyone because you're just afraid. And I believe that when you when you don't treat people like that, when you don't put them in a in a bubble of fear, they just are such better workers and more open and have fun while they're there. And they're much more loyal to you as well. Yeah. So, breaking through that tough guy, tough gal mentality. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's huge. Creating that, that space of openness and creativity because it can't just be about bodies and hands. It has to be about something more and driving that creativity when they're not in absolute fear, which is a great segue into kids these days. I can't stand that shit. Kids these days as a way to subjugate those who come after us and put our, ourselves in a in a position of superiority because we did X, Y, and Z. Like, look, here's the reality. They're smarter than we are, and we don't like it because they recognize that getting a plate thrown at your head is not a badge of honor. It's stupid and toxic. Yeah. And they're calling restaurants are not a great place to work if that's the, the status quo of the environment we're creating. And we don't like that because that's how we came up. And now they're saying, no, that's not okay. And the gatekeepers, you know, have changed. It is not the gatekeeper of the old white man holding your resume hostage so that you can get the next upward mobility position because you worked under X, Y, and Z. They don't need you anymore. They can go and sell their family's pastry recipe direct to consumers on, on Instagram. Like they don't need you anymore, yet they maybe need that sense of community, that sense of belonging that a kitchen can create if it's created not in this boys club way that we have so often. So you going and, and seeing and really interacting with the kids, not, not putting your own philosophical stamp on them, but really communicating with them directly. I'm fascinated in that. I think what a, what a great way for somebody who's already kind of been a prolific chef in, in known restaurants to say, I'm going to go and, and work with the people, with the kids, and try and see how I can usher them into this industry. I want to know more about that because we need to get in that mindset. How do we get there, Jessica? You know, it's really interesting because when you, you know, I'm jaded at this point, like I'm in my thirties, I'm old, I'm not as fast as I used to be. I'm not as spry. You know what I mean? You watch some of these younger generation get in a kitchen and if they're savages, they're running like, circles. I, yeah. just can't, I can't bend like that. I can't <laughs> kneel anymore. But I think something that we need to realize is that when they're in school, they're about to graduate, they have such an excitement and such a passion and such a, whether they're good or not, right? Just yeah. such a hunger to be a chef. It's like this regarded like hallowed halls that they walk on. Mm. And it took me a minute. And then I realized, you know, what we do by bringing them in and being like, you're just a kid. Let me show you. We suck that all out of them. Yeah. And like the first two weeks that they're working for us. Right. And like, I think it's my responsibility to harness that energy and to help focus it into training to make people successful. But what we want to do right away is beat them down. Right. Yeah. You're nothing, you know, you, all these quips that chefs have, right. Like we know mm -hmm. them all, but we, we immediately take that excitement and then tell them that they can't do anything. And you can visually see the excitement drain from their eyes. And then right. to be, to be the teacher too in a classroom where people are, because they all work part-time jobs, most of them just to help sure. with you know, funding, to hear them talk about their chefs kind of gave me such a behind the curtain kind of thing to hear just kind of the, the complaining and the 
communal agreement that they're just not going to be talked to like that. And I think I respect that, you know, for, for years, we thought it was like badass, right. To like never complain when you're sick and work with broken ankles and work injured and, you know, be talked to however you want to be talked to. And I just don't say anything. I just take it. And honestly, I have more respect for this new workforce than I do for myself because they have found that voice to say, absolutely not. You're not going to speak to me like that. I'm not going to work with 110 fever. You know, like I'm just not going to do these things. And if that's what you're going to require, then you can find somebody else. Yeah. And I think I have a lot of respect for that. Yeah. What's that? It's that badge of honor thing where it's like, and, and I've talked about this a lot and I know you've experienced it where, you know, working 15 hours a day, six, seven days a week, 70 hours a week, 30 straight days, right? I, I now make fun of myself about there was almost a seven year span where I didn't take a single sick day and I was sick as hell so many times that I brought down everybody. Like there was no way that my, I thought I was being the most productive because I was putting in the most input, but the output on the other side, I was never as good. And then I brought other people down around me for sure. You know, even, even by trying to be the one who made sure that I would cover shifts, what I was doing is saying, this is the only way you can succeed is by killing yourself. And it sets an unrealistic expectation for yourself and for others and we keep making that a badge of honor so i appreciate you pointing out the fact that it's not a badge of honor that's just they're they're smarter and tougher than we are i didn't even add the tougher think, part you did yeah they're tougher i think of it kind of as a badge of naivety too like we never really knew what could be or what yeah. what should be out there we only know what we came from right so you're just naive and, and you're absolutely right you think i have to do this or i'll never move up this is what i have to do this is what i have to do and it's it's just not you know I've progressed farther in my career underneath the blanket of correct leadership and correct culture than I did, you know, working two full-time jobs with pneumonia. So I think, you know, you just, it's, it it is what it is now. And I think any, any chef that wants to reject that and and stay in the old way is just going to find themselves, you know, diminished, not because of food, right? Because food quality is only a third of the battle. Honestly, if you don't have any staff to cook the food, you're, you're done. Yeah. And we'd so see I the we big is, air quotes a labor shortage uh, yeah. exposing that right now. We have to create an environment where people are comfortable and want to come to work. And you know, what I'm finding too, is we've just come through a complete restaurant open. There were six days, there were 15 hours, but people are happy to work them because they know it's not forever. You know, because you have those conversations and you say, yeah. I need that, I need this grit from you for two weeks, and then I will give you four days off in a row or or whatever, however you do it, you know. Communication. It's like we we forget about that sometimes. We are pure communicators. We just happen to use food, beverage, hospitality as the vehicle for it. So continue to communicate is always key. We talk about with line cooks, communicate, keep talking, chatter, chatter, all these different things, and then we stop doing it. Then we 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 don't perpetuate that same good practice of, of always uh, communicating and make sure that there's the clarity and understanding. And if it means that you gotta, you do got to put your nose to the grindstone for a couple of weeks, that's different than putting your nose to the grindstone until there's nothing left of you. And that's what we, you know, continued to do. And so I, I'm interested now too, because there's also a, a polarization that's happening right now with the, the reality we're talking about of kids these days actually being the best chance we have to redefine this industry and create a new model for success. 
Absolutely. It's not going to be us. It's going to be kids these days. And it's our turn to follow them. Right. There's also there's also an interesting thing where we went from being the outcasts or, you know, Bourdain's pirates on the pirate ship, band of rebels, island of misfit toys, all of that. Then all of a sudden we became the cool kids. We were never the cool kids. Like we didn't quite fit in. (laughs) We never quite fit in. You know, we had some swagger to us, no doubt, but we weren't the cool kids. And then we became the cool kids. All of a sudden we're like, you know, rubbing elbows with like athletes and celebrities because you're a chef. And then chefs are on TV and all this is happening. And we didn't I didn't know how to handle it very much, like spun off our axis quite a bit. And then all of a sudden now we're the establishment. And so when you say kids these days, I'm like, these kids are more like us because they're calling BS on the establishment. We just happen to be the establishment now. It also has set an unrealistic expectation of what it means to be a chef. Right. You see chefs on TV and, and culinary shows and all this. That isn't the actual reality of it. And so sometimes in culinary school, we're also setting them up with an unrealistic expectation. How do you see that playing out a little bit? Because they are so excited to go out there and be a chef. The reality is you are going to have to put in the work. You are going to have to put in that effort. You are going to have to struggle different, not physical and verbal abuse, but you're going to have to find a path that's not just laid out for you. You're going to have to blaze it on your own. So how are you kind of communicating that with uh, students or young line cooks as you see them coming up? That's such a multifaceted question. Um, That's a huge question. Unpack uh, it however you like. (laughs) (laughs) I think first of all, you just have to be, I, I try to remind myself and them that like, you know, we're just real people. Um, and I think when they can, so the biggest thing that I try to do right is always admit when you make a mistake and always, always, always never go home without going to each person saying, thank you so much. Have a great night. Whether the night was good or not, they stayed and they worked. And so you thank them, you know, for coming back. And I I thank you for coming back again tomorrow because there, we all know there's been times we've walked out the doors of a restaurant and been like, I am never going back there again. Yeah. And somehow through whatever, plays itself out between midnight and 2 30 a.m we you know get we get mad and then it's like degrees of of anger right you're mad and then you're happy and then you're excited and then you're you're gonna go back tomorrow and do it all again so i think just keeping a level ground where it's like it's this it's okay to make mistakes in here it's not tv where you're gonna get screamed at and you know um over berated but you're also not going to be an executive in two months when you just graduated so keeping in a very real environment where again back to the communication where you're constantly you know this is what you need to do to reach your next step this is this is what it is right because we've been very glam glamorized right with the tv where it's like oh i'm going to go from you know pennies to riches in a six months the truth of the matter is I'd love to be on top chef, but many, many, many chefs are never going to see a TV and they're never going to be millionaires. So keeping, keeping that excitement alive while also not encouraging people to have a misconstrued reality of what's going to happen to them on either side, right? Good or bad. So I'm not going to scream at you and kick you out of a kitchen and call you worthless, but I'm also not going to promote you to a sous chef in one month. So just keeping it very real and to do that, I need to remain real as well and not walk around like I'm, you know, some sort of like Mecca because honestly, it's just dinner. We're not saving lives. We're not going to space. You know, it, it is an establishment and people have become very, it, 
infatuated and and mm-hmm. kind of super into kitchens and what happens and and I love that because that means that more people are cooking at home. Yeah. So I think I think that you know television and all that stuff has has been really good for the industry, but in some points, you know, it's created a false reality of what actually happens as well. So I guess to answer your question, just to kind of make sure that I stay level and I stay grounded and kind of lead a team with that, that level kind of, you know, we're not going to be horrible. We're not going to be great. We strive to be amazing, but like, we're all not just going to be rich in <laughs> two months. Yeah. It sounds, yeah, it sounds very, very good. Like the middle path. Yeah. Is the path to enlightenment. So I'm interested then too for how you're kind of bringing about your menu with you have a very clear and different philosophy for your approach. And I think that's playing out within the kitchen and the culture that you're creating. Love. Absolutely appreciate that. We need more of it, which is why I'm so happy to have you on. How then are you thinking differently about the application on the menu itself, the food that's that kids these days get to cook alongside you because you are at a, at a, you know, a, a steakhouse kind of concept. You're at the four seasons there. There is a historical expectation there already baked in. And now you're shifting that as well. Talk about that a little bit. I'm, I'm fascinated with your philosophy when it comes to the application of the menu. Sure. So when I arrived at the four seasons, I had visited the property you know, many years ago under the comp night umbrella four seasons benefits for us. And it was very dark and dingy and, you know, it, it kind of looked like a little bit of a cigar club. Kind of like right away when you said that is the first thing I thought once again, a right, boys yeah. club smoking just cigars, like, drinking like whiskey. A, just like a man's, you know, almost like a man cave. And when the four seasons paired with our designers, they really, really, really did such a great job of lightening the whole room and just bringing in this like, femininity to the room, just a softer touch with a softer approach and, you know, softer place settings. And the whole thing is just very bright and beautiful. And so I took a walk around the restaurant and just thought, you know, what kind of food is going to look good at this, at these tables and translate also so that we don't lose ourselves in all these different themes, right? Because what I, the number one thing I hate when I'm dining is when you go to a restaurant, you're like, what is this? Like, what kind of restaurant is this? So I got together with the sous chef team and kind of with the general manager, Javi, and our hotel manager and, and just kind of, you know, said, what is it that we see in this room? And what we see, I think, is this kind of crescendo into the steak. So it's a given that we're going to purchase great meat. I mean, we we spend a lot of money to make sure that the center of your plate is the best thing that we can get. And then we don't really do much to it. We salt it, we pepper it, we paint it with a little bit of Cabernet butter while it's on the grill, just for some added flair. We put a little of our ed- ed- like A1 that we call edge one on the plate and that's it, right? That that speaks for itself. I would be doing the meat and injustice if I did anything more than that, in my opinion. But what we wanna do is make sure that from the second you come in and you order oysters or you know, we've ruled out this specialty line of tinned fish or you know, our salads that are a little bit creative, or we've done a lot of work to do crudos and octopus and, and foie and stuff like that, that you kind of get this, like, like I said, crescendo up to the steak. So everything that we do uplifts that center plate meat and doesn't deter from it, but you go away from it thinking, you know, this wasn't just an eight ounce filet with a side of mash. This was, you know, a crudo that built into an octo that built into a great steak with, you know, 
uh, orange and duca glazed carrots that like I remember over you know what a typical steakhouse experience would be. So a lot of our focus and a lot of our energy goes into not just sourcing of the best ingredients, but kind of doing everything we can to uplift them, but not to overtake them. Yeah, I like I like this this concept because we try too hard far far too often in our career. I've been guilty of it. Like trying just because I can doesn't mean I should, right? And so right. the fact that you can be playful, take them on a little bit of a journey, like, like be whimsical, all these different things that we do love to do as as the creative side of being chefs. And and then when it's time to just get your meat in two, it's really, really good meat and and the sides like really uplift it. I like that. It's it's comfortable when it needs to be comfortable and it challenges us when we want to be challenged. We're not trying to be full throttle all the time. And sometimes at the end of a meal, even though you're like, individual components were good it's like i'm exhausted yeah like i'm exhausted i don't know when i'm gonna be ready for this again it's it's uh it's gonna be a challenge so i i appreciate that kind of that crescendo i like that i like how you're thinking about it being kind of a, a symphony for you so i, I appreciate think, that i think it segues a little bit too into you know it's it's been a long time that we've kind of kept allergies at bay right like we treat mm. them like they're in like the the unguarded part of the pool yeah I think we have to, as chefs, embrace that. We have to include gluten-free and vegan and vegetarian and you know nightshades and all this stuff. And the, the challenge for us is that people that have allergies, like I myself have developed a sesame allergy in the last five years. People that have allergies, I guess intolerance is what it would be, but I think they're just not allowing us anymore to be like, oh, you don't eat meat. We're just going to pile three vegetables on your plate in sections yeah. and sections and off. They're demanding that they have an equal experience to the people who are getting a $400 porterhouse. So I think what we do is we really try to put a lot of emphasis into our vegan and vegetarian and all these options to make sure that if you're a vegetarian, you get the same exact experience that somebody who's ordering, you know, $400 worth of A5 would, would get. And so that's a challenge for us as well to, to fall, not only accept the allergies and the restrictions, but to embrace them and to yes. use that as fuel to ignite us to create more and better. Yeah, uh, accepting that challenge, I think, I think is key. And look, let's be practical about it. If you look at any trend, those emerging markets and those those styles of food and dietary needs and focus points are becoming big money. So if you are not aware of that, you are losing out on tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars as that continues to escalate and escalate as people are understanding their own dietary needs, what feels good and right for them and using their voice to say, I deserve to have a great experience as well. And those that are fulfilling that need are they're going to create regulars a lot faster and a more loyal fan base a lot faster than somebody who's just doing what's been done before because it's played out and so i can appreciate that for sure which and the challenge of doing that within kind of that more traditional steakhouse model and the four seasons and all that i can respect that that is a massive challenge that you all are undertaking but clearly it plays into the ethos and the vision that you all have as a whole so it it makes sense you're not round peg in a square hole it's an extension of who you already are so i want to i want to finish with that you know last thoughts 
as as who you all are at Edge and what you're doing in the kitchen. Any last thoughts? Maybe even speak to some of those kids these days in your kitchen. I'd love for them to uh, feel like they got acknowledged in what's happening uh, here with you and I talking today. I mean, I think what we try to do is we're just people trying to give people good food. You hey. know? And we're trying to work hard and we're trying to support our families and provide and we're trying to have a good time while we while we work and we're trying to keep innovating and you know everything that can be done has been done but it's all about trying to find your truest self and who you are in all realms of life but when you're a culinarian to find your voice as a culinarian and not let all this other noise you know of the celebrities and what they're doing and what they're creating cloud your vision you know you are you are stay true to yourself never lose yourself and i guess if i had anything to say to like the young young people it would be you know just don't accept mediocrity and don't let people treat you poorly because there are chefs out there who will who will help you and focus you and groom you and and help you be successful without disrespecting you so <laughs> that's it and more and more every single day and those that don't understand that that is the way it should have been Right. always and it will be now and forever in the future are are just going extinct so appreciate jessica appreciate the work that you're doing appreciate the inspiration that you just gave all of us we want to continue to create inclusive workplaces that's what workplace is worth working what best served is all about so once again everyone jessica biederman chef at edge restaurant denver colorado uh jessica have a great one go take care of that dog i uh I will. i'm so sorry thank you so much oh. have a great we flow with it this okay. is the show goes on and you know what the, the dog needs some love too so we, we love all of it appreciate you jessica all right cheers cheers all right everybody that is it a great great episode really appreciate the approach jessica has we need more leaders that are thinking beyond our own past failures and successes and looking at ushering in the future of this industry it will be the 22 year old that that so many chefs and so many individuals and in restaurants are pointing fingers at and saying they don't want to work kids these days all of that the reality is they have a higher expectation a grander vision than even we do it's time to start listening that's it for this episode once again this was best Sir podcast 322 beyond the boys club kitchen with jessica biederman of edge restaurant denver colorado workplace is worth working episode number 15 appreciate you all as always Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.